please be seated. There was once a man who did very well for himself on Wall Street. And going into the finance industry, he ended up making more than he ever could have imagined. Wealth that he never thought was possible. He had everything that he could possibly want. And he loved it. And he also knew the old adage that you can't take it with you. That when you die, all your wealth goes away. All your assets are nothing. And he became obsessed with this question and how to beat the system. And he wanted to take it with him. And so he traveled the whole world consulting gurus and rabbis and priests and sages and researching all the old ancient texts to figure out how he could take it with him. And he found the secret. He found out how he could convert all of his assets, all of his wealth, and to bring it into the afterlife. But he had to convert it into gold bars. That was the trick. He had to convert everything into gold. And then he died. And he comes up to heaven, St. Peter's at the pearly gates, waiting for him and says, welcome, we're so glad you're here. And the man points behind him, and he's got three dump trucks full of gold bars. And he says to Peter, look what I've brought. Look at all this that I've brought into heaven, everything I've ever earned. And Peter looks at him and says, why would you bring road pavement into heaven? (laughs) In a place where the streets are paved with gold, all the wealth of the world is nothing. We're talking this morning and in the midst of this series about what is valuable. And this morning, uh, I want to talk about the role of money in the kingdom of God. And the role of money in our hearts and in our lives. Alex spoke to us last week about how uh, when we look at real value, God sees us as invaluable. We are priceless. We are precious. He gave his life and everything to claim us as his and to win our salvation with a cost that we could never have paid on our own. This week as we talk about money, I'm reminded again how Reverend Alex said last week there are 2,350 references in the Bible to money, based on who's counting. 2,350. God talks about money a lot in the scriptures. This is close to God's heart because he knows how much it can affect our hearts and our lives. So when we think about money and the kingdom of God, let's say from the beginning with no ambiguity and flatly, money has no value at all in God's kingdom. In God's economy of salvation, all the wealth of the world is nothing. Zero. But our use of it here reveals to us and to the world who our God truly is. Our use, our relationship to money matters to God deeply. To dive into this, let's look at our passage in Acts, in Simon the Magician. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. We look at Simon, Simon Magus, Simon the Magi, same kind of Magi who visited Jesus at at his birth. He was a magician in Samaria. He had this following 
because people saw him as someone great. He did these miraculous things. He had some power that enabled him to do miraculous works. And people followed him. People listened to him. He was someone great. They, they said, this is the one who is the power called great. And he had this following. This was his life. This was his, uh, his mode of operation. He was the, pers- the great one, and people followed him. That is, until they encountered real greatness. Until they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that Philip came and preached to them. They turned away from Simon, and they turned towards Jesus, following after Philip. They saw real miracles. They saw real works of power. And they turned away from Simon. And it says that Simon himself believed and was baptized. But we have good reason to think that maybe his belief, his conversion, wasn't full, wasn't genuine, wasn't complete. Because we see later that the object of his faith wasn't Jesus as much as it was his own power, his own agenda. Peter calls him out and says that his heart was not right before God because he saw Peter and John lay their hands on people and the Holy Spirit come upon them in power. And Simon said, I want that power. That power, real power, is what can serve my agenda, is what can help me to become great again. And he tried to buy it from Peter. He tried to use his money, which to this point he could use to buy anything that he wanted. Anything that he wanted, he could get if he had enough money. Peter says, your heart was not right before God. His God was still his power. His God was his fame. His God was his status as someone great. And he tried to use his money to get it. Peter says, may your silver perish with you. Harsh words for him. N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, has his translation of this that says, you and your silver belong in hell. Really harsh. What's he doing so wrong? He's treating the Holy Spirit like something that can be bought. He's treating the Spirit of God like a commodity to serve his own goals. And that is a blasphemy, if anything is. Because the Holy Spirit is not something that's just a miracle-working power for us. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And our claim of the Holy Spirit, our having the Holy Spirit, is a relationship of love and devotion and giving our lives to God through the Spirit. It's not a utility to serve our own goals on our own agendas. Simon's sin here was trying to use money to serve his true God. His God was his power, his status, his fame. And to get it, he trusted in his money more than he trusted in the goodness of God to give free gifts. That's the irony of it, isn't it? That he could have had it all. He could have had everything that his heart truly desired, that we, everything that we as humans were made for is God himself, a relationship of love and trust that leads us into eternity of blessedness with him. 
He could have had it all. But he was serving his false god. And Peter rebukes him and reminds him that his money has no value here. He didn't understand that grace is always a gift. Grace is always a gift that is given freely because God loves you. Because God wants you to belong to him and to receive his inheritance. God wants to give free gifts to you that cannot be bought. He wants to give you the kingdom. In Luke 12, Jesus says, It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom that belongs to the king of kings. The kingdom that has more value than all the kingdoms and the nations, the glory and the wealth of all the earth are nothing compared to this kingdom. God wants to give it to you freely. It's his good pleasure to give it to you because he loves you. Gifts like that cannot be bought. They cannot be earned. They cannot be deserved. They are only received. Money can do nothing for a gift like this. But we need money here on earth. We need money to feed our families, to send our kids to school, to operate in a world that's driven by economics and transactions. I give you money, you give me goods and services. That's how our world works. Money is useful for that. Money is necessary for that. But money can also serve our false gods. We all have false gods that we worship because we are worshiping beings. We're meant to be giving ourselves to something beyond ourselves. We can't be neutral in this. Either we're worshiping the Lord, we're worshiping Jesus, or we worship false gods and false idols. Maybe our false gods are our success, our status, our power, our security, our legacy. We want the best job, the best house, the best schools for our kids. We want safety, security. We want to be better than our neighbors. One recent example of this, I think, highlights this uh, dramatically was the college admissions scandal that broke in the last year. One of the uh, actresses that was caught in that was actually just sentenced this past week uh, to jail time. But these parents paid tens of thousands of dollars to cheat their kids into these elite schools in order to say, my kid went to Harvard. My kid went to Stanford. Where did your kid go? not willing to do the work to help their kids get into there uh, by themselves. They used their money to serve that false god. And money can buy these things if you have enough of it. Money can buy whatever you want if you have enough of it. Money can be the mediator between us and our false gods. And money itself can be a false god for us. If we turn to our gospel reading in Matthew chapter 6, we can think about our relationship to money itself. Because often money is a false god. And 
We're talking about money here in part because money is a taboo subject. Money is something we do not like to be talked, uh, do not like to talk about, do not like to be talked at about. It's a it's a taboo subject. We say politics and religion are the things you're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table. But you know, which is the ruder question? If someone were to ask you, who did you vote for, or how much do you make in a year? (laughs) Money is taboo. We don't like to talk about it. We hold it so close to the chest because it's so intimately connected to our identity and our sense of self-worth. And what Jesus says here in Matthew 6 should scare us in that and should upend our, our ways of thinking about money. Because in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, why did he say money? Why didn't he say you cannot serve God and your own pleasure? Or you cannot serve God and your own success or ambitions or status? No, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. He's setting these two as mutually exclusive gods. He's saying something very radical here. I think we need to pay attention to. He's saying that our security, our trust, our hope, our safety cannot be in two gods at once. Either we put our trust in our money or we put it in God. Because as long as your trust and your hope and your safety net is in money, you cannot fully belong to the kingdom of God. And you run the risk of perishing along with your silver. So it's worth us asking, what is the role of money in your heart? What grip does it have on you that God would want to break you from this morning? And sometimes it takes catastrophic events to make us ask these questions. For me, in college, there was a time that I was completely broke. I had like $17 in my bank account, maybe. And I was living in college in a dorm and with a meal plan, so I was taken care of there, but I had zero money. And then I got into a car accident. And it was my fault, so I got a ticket. $130. And normally that's not a big deal, unless you have... $17 $17 to your name. <laughs> and this, this event really shook me because it was one of those tickets that they say, if you don't pay it in seven days, we'll come and arrest you. So for a 20-year-old college kid to hear something like that uh, rattled me pretty good and made me realize that my trust, my safety net was in my financial security, not in God. And God ended up providing for that pretty miraculously, which is another story for another time. But the way that sometimes events can cause us to ask these questions, uh, we wanna, I want to avoid this morning for you and asking some diagnostic questions for us about the role of money in our hearts and our lives. So these are diagnostic questions, not accusatory questions, but to make us think to make us ponder, and maybe it's worth writing these down and coming back to these in the next few days. How does the amount of money that you have in your bank account affect your, sense, your self-esteem, 
and the value that you place upon yourself? How do you give? Do you give with the tax deduction in mind? Do you give to make yourself feel better? Or as a status indicator? Do you ever try to control people or situations with money? How do you talk to your children about your money or other people about your money? Are you ever resentful when others have more than you? Or are you ever disdainful when others have less than you? How do you feel when people ask you for money? How are you responding to this series on money, this sermon? How are you reacting inside? I'm glad none of you are responding and reacting by uh, outwardly and throwing hymnals at me. <laughs> but what's going on as you hear this? What's going on in your heart and how you react and respond? Does this little pledge card offend you or scare you? What is the role of money in your heart? If it's a false god, we need to kill it. And hear me clearly when I say these things, when I'm asking these questions. Money is not bad. Having stuff, having even really nice stuff is not bad. In God's economy, these things just don't matter. They're indifferent. But they have a power. They can have a power over us to poison our hearts, to become idolatrous for us. Because money can't buy your salvation, but it can cause you to lose it. Money can't buy your salvation, but it can cause you to lose it. Because if money is your God, then Jesus is not. If money is your God, Jesus is not. How do we, as the church, as the people of God, come against this? How do we kill these false idols? One suggestion I want to put forward to us this morning is generosity. Giving it away. Because when we fully trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, when we fully believe and trust that the work the ultimate work of our lives was accomplished for us on the cross and that the work is finished. We are free to be generous. When Jesus is Lord of your life, we are free and we begin to see our bank account and all of our stuff for what they truly are, just temporary, indifferent, at their best, road pavement in heaven. So, Give it away and see how it begins to affect your heart. I believe you'll find greater joy, greater freedom, greater worth as you give more away. Jesus says here in Matthew 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's worth us pausing to think about the syntax of that sentence. 
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will go. He doesn't say what you love, what you're passionate about, what you truly desire, that's where you'll put your investments. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because Jesus knows that our hearts follow our treasures. So if you want your treasure to be in Jesus, put your treasures in Jesus. Give and see how your heart follows. Use your money to serve the one true God. To claim Jesus Christ as your only Lord with your mouth and your wallet. Your money can't buy your salvation. It can't buy spiritual maturity. It can't buy a piece of the kingdom. But when we put our money toward the things that have eternal value, we are declaring that Jesus is Lord and these other things are not. Jesus is Lord and my success, my status, my accomplishments, my pleasure is not. Your money is not God. Jesus is. When we think about what has true value, we have to think in light of eternity. We heard last week that we are priceless to God. That we are invaluable to him. He loves us so much that he died for us to claim us as his own. The gift of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That Jesus loved us to the ends of the earth and to the depths of hell. That he went to claim us, to, to call us his children, and to give us his inheritance, which is the kingdom of God. He gives us that freely. That is the gift of the gospel. That is true value. And it's in light of this that we need to think about our material resources. The value of our money. In the kingdom of God, it's useless. It doesn't mean anything. But God has work to do here on earth that will have eternal impact. And our money used here will contribute to that. So the encouragement here today is simply to put your money where your mouth is. And confess that Jesus is Lord. In this series, we're asking you to fill out these intentions of giving. We're asking you to do this so we can set a budget. But why are we doing this right now? Why are we asking you to fill out these cards? There are two reasons. First, God doesn't need your money, but the church does in order to do God's work. God has work to do here on earth that will have eternal impact. And the church needs material resources in order to do that. But two, more importantly, much more importantly, this is about killing the false gods in our lives and learning how to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, the value that will last for eternity. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that challenges us. We thank you uh, that you are here with us and that you are helping us to See with eternal perspective. And we pray that you would come with your spirit, transform our hearts, soften them to be shaped by you. 
and lead us into eternal value and to your eternal glory. Amen.